This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Unnecessary roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's unnecessary roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown Raiders. Would you believe it? This is unnecessary roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Had a very spirited and fast first hour of the show here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. We were joined by DeMond's homegirl, Kayla, and also Ed Grady from ESPN Las Vegas and the Review Journal. And we're going to keep the party rolling here in hour number two and be joined by our good friend, Pat Leonard from New York Daily News Sports at P. Leonard NYDN on Twitter. And Pat, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Wanted to get you on to talk about Patrick Graham and his defense. And one thing that stood out to me from last year's defense was safety low. Logan Ryan had the green dot. Is that because Logan Ryan is Logan Ryan, or is that because that's a high-priority position in this defense? Well, it was a little bit because Blake Martinez got hurt and was out. Ideally, Graham would like the middle linebacker or the person at the center of his defense to have it, but you hit it on the head, too. Logan Ryan was capable of that and a leader on the field, so whoever is the most trusted person on the field who can handle that, it's not above Graham to go a little bit outside the box if his personnel calls for it. And I think, I think that goes for the way he coaches his entire defense is, you know, he will change up what he typically does, let's say, or what his philosophy is if his personnel and that specific game plan calls for it to be necessary. Wanted to ask you also about the linebacker position because uh, last season, Denzel Perryman, he was a guy that went to the Pro Bowl for the Raiders. Really good pickup. They uh, they actually made a trade with the Panthers to pick him up before the season started. Uh, what what are, What is the expectations of the linebackers in a Patrick Graham-led defense? Um, I think athleticism is number one. But also, also the in the 3-4 scheme, in addition to being athletic, like when they brought Blake Martinez to New York – the idea for the, is for the defensive line to hold their own up front and for the linebackers to fill the gaps and scrape and make the plays. So the defensive linemen, you want them to win and, and shed their blocks and get upfield. But in Graham's scheme, it's more if you're the defensive line, if you're the nose tackle, let's say, your job is to hold your own and contain those gaps and force the running back basically right up into your linebacker. So... Ideally, the backers are free to roam and kept, uh, kept clean by the defensive line and then become tackling machines. But athleticism is key in Graham's defense, too, because he'll play some match zone defense and a lot of things in the passing game where it's not just about being a downhill tackler if you're a linebacker. Yes, speaking of being a downhill tackler as a linebacker, that's mainly what Denzel Perryman is. He had a couple of struggles with coverage so is coverage more important than stopping the run in Graham's defense no no not more important it's just versatility is valued so you know like Blake Martinez is actually a good comp there on somebody who can drop into coverage but it's not his strength and actually could be taken advantage of at times in the Giants defense in that way so they would pair him with like in the Giants scheme for example they had a younger more athletic guy in Tay Crowder who would complement Martinez in that mm. role. So you had one guy who was more the run stopper 
and one who could drop a little bit better. That makes a lot of sense, and I think that that's a good role that you could have a Denzel Perriman and like a Divine Diablo who's very athletic, and they got a couple other guys that are very athletic. So it looks like that linebacking core is really starting to come together. Talking right now with Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News Sports here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Now the Giants, I mean, we all know weren't very good the last couple seasons, but the defense was pretty pretty good. You know, it was actually kept them in, in, in a lot of games. Why was Patrick Graham, or how was Patrick Graham able to get so much out of that defense? Yeah, well, I'll say this. I mean, the Raiders, the Raiders are going to be good, and one of the reasons is they have a future head coach as a defensive coordinator. The, the reason I say that about Graham is because you're right. Obviously, the Giants' record wasn't great the last couple of seasons, but the defense was the strength, and not only the defense, too, but the way that the defense kind of complemented the game's plan. So Joe Judge and Pat Graham, they'd be standing right next to each other on the sidelines before games talking about how are we going to compete? How are we going to keep this game close? And a lot of it had to do with finding the right defensive scheme to keep the score close to give them a chance to win at the end. And, you know, it, it involved changing the scheme week to week. They could be single high one week, two high the next week. They could be man one week, match zone the next week. I think what you're looking at from a – from a coaching standpoint, from Pat Graham is a guy who is flexible. Um, he will he has incredible recall on opponents and previous games, specific players on how to attack them and how to stop them or contain them. Um, and he's direct, so he will be extremely direct with the Raiders players on the expectations on what their fit is. And the thing I'm most excited about for Raider fans is the pass rushers that Graham has at his disposal right now. Because in the Giants scheme, the best, the best win in the Giants franchise really in the last five years was their road win against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks in 2020. And that was all about the defense and finding a way to contain Russell Wilson. But Graham did a lot of his best work without a pass rush in New York, and now he's coaching a team with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. <laughs> right. So I just feel like the sky is the limit when it comes to what he can do, taking what he did in New York and applying it in Vegas. Yeah, no, that that is exciting. And, and I know that uh, he had mentioned Max Crosby in his introduction. He had ma- mentioned Max Crosby, excited to work with him. And then Chandler Jones had also mentioned Max Crosby, excited to work with him. So those two bookends should be really exciting. And, and let's stick with the defensive line. How about the interior? The Raiders have gone and signed uh, four or five guys that are 300 pounds plus. I mean, that's they just got the big guys in the middle, which I get excited about. And, you know, you talked to DeMond earlier about stopping the run. It sounds like stopping the run is very important in this defense. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it. So you talk about Nichols, you know, Hankins, Butler, Vickers. Like mm-hmm. these, big, these big guys in the middle, Graham is going – you want, ideally, the defensive lineman to, to take the guard, throw him down to the ground, and jump the running back for a five-yard loss. If that happens, that's great. But the priority for those interior linemen in grand scheme – is to hold your own and to not get moved out of your gap and then to have those linebackers coming in from behind athletically and with strong instincts and making those plays. And so you hit it right on the head with bringing in these guys who are, you know, weighing 300, 350 pounds. These are guys that you don't want to be moved. And so if, if there's somebody that Graham counts on to plug a hole and to stay there, and to win, just you don't even have to win. You just gotta, you just gotta hold your own, and then everybody else behind them can come in and make the play in the in the run game. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. You asked me about prioritizing run or pass. 
because Graham is so well known for containing big pass games as the Giants' PC, when really the run game and stopping the run remains always the primary focus. Talking right now with Pat Letter from the New York Daily News Sports on uh, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. You can find Pat on Twitter, at P. Leonard, N-Y-D-N. Go ahead, Damon. All right, Pat. Now, we all want Patrick Graham's defense to succeed here on Raider Nation Radio, but from his time with the Giants, what were some things that opposing offenses were able to exploit in his defensive scheme? Well, the biggest one that stands out and the number one, and I'm sure Graham would admit to this whenever he's interviewed over there, is that they gave up a lot of points at the end of halves. Mm. The Giants had a real hard time in that, that middle eight of the game there, uh, kind of like holding their own into the locker room and keeping momentum. A lot of times their defense would be playing really well, and then it would undercut kind of their performance that at the end of the half they would play a little bit, a little bit more drop. I'm not, I don't want to use the word prevent, but just, just giving up a little bit more than they had the rest of the game and the opposing offense would take advantage. I personally think that their lack of a pass rush mm-hmm. was the primary reason for that, though you know, Graham would be in his head every week saying, I got to do a better job at that. And it was true. He did. So I would say that was the one thing uh, that stood out, but uh, there's there's something else important that I think is going to help the Raiders is that another thing Graham did not have in New York. So he came in, what he wanted to do was play press man to man coverage. And the giants didn't have the corners for that. So that's why they spent two years kind of mixing and matching different kinds of game plans but they went and got Rocky Austin with that trade, Either, even out adding a guy like Anthony Averett. You know, the corner position, and I look at the draft for the Raiders, I look at the corner position. I think they're going to draft one because if he has match corners and guys he trusts to be on the outside there, then those end-of-half, end-of-game scenarios with the pass rushers the Raiders have and then trusting guys on the outside, I think you could really see a defense that is – I mean, dramatically better than even what what optimistic Raiders fans expect. Wow, that w- that would be fantastic. That would get Raider Nation real fired up. And I'm glad you started talking about the corner position because I did want to talk about a guy who's a current Giant still, and that's James Bradbury. A lot of reports that he was either going to get moved already, maybe the Giants release him at some point. What's the latest and the greatest with Bradbury? Do you think that there's a trade on the way anytime soon? Yeah, I think he's going to be traded. I know I saw I saw a report the other day that the Chiefs seem to be backing away. There's a lot of jockeying right now with the Giants kind of uh, acting like, well, we don't have to. But the reality is he's a $21 million cap hit, and they have to get rid of him at this point. They just restructured a Dory Jackson. I thought they should have extended Bradbury, but they're not going that route. I actually think the Texans, I reported previously that the Texans, Colts, and Chiefs were teams to watch. I think the Texans are still the team that makes the most sense. The question is, is a team going like the Texans going to wait out the Giants because they know they have to get rid of him? Are they going to wait hit them out until maybe the Giants have to release him? Or in order to get the player, will they come in, have the Giants eat some salary, and kind of give them a bottom barrel price? Um, I know Graham has a high opinion of Bradbury as well. So if they could get him at the right price, I think that would obviously be a move that would help Vegas a lot. Um, but he's going to get traded, yes. I, I think even if the Giants get barely anything for him and have to eat salary, they're going to do something like that rather than cut the player. He is a good player, um, and like I said, I didn't even think they should have gotten rid of him, but it's kind of 
we're kind of past that point now. Right. No, no doubt. And, and what do you think just a reasonable, not a disrespectful type, uh, you know, value would be for Bradbury these days? Oh, well, depends on who you ask. At the moment, um, the Giants having to eat some cap space, and then there's even been discussions of like a potential pick swap hmm. where, let's say, the Giants get a, get a fourth this year and give up a third next year or vice versa, or like there's a pick swap in the draft plus the Giants get a, a fifth or a sixth, something like that. Nothing close to what the player's actual value is. Um, it's just the contract situation. And also the fact that, as you guys have seen, there have been some pretty good corners out there available already, which is kind of watered down the market and is, and is getting you to a place where any team, you know, Raiders, Texans, Colts, uh, even if the Chiefs jump back into it, it shouldn't cost them a lot. It's just absorbing a lot of money for a player of one year. But you have to think if you're going after him that you're considering possibly extending the guy as well. And Patrick Graham, in his introductory press conference, he said the 3-4-4-3 discussion is almost antiquated because of the diamond-nickel packages. Do you believe that there's some truth to that from what you've seen with his defenses? Well, he, he's, not, he's not lying in that he plays a lot of sub. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people in, uh, or most, most coordinators now, they always tell you that almost like sub is the new base kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of five corners are more on the field. So that's, so that's why I keep hammering that corner position. Watch that in the draft, I'm telling you. Um, but, you know, he does play a 3-4. I mean, compared to a 4-3, as far as the personnel he's looking for up front, Graham, you know, Graham's a 3-4 guy. Right. Uh, but but he's, not, he's not lying that, uh, that he will mix and match, and, and week to week it could look differently. But, yeah, he's... He's uh, hedging and playing a little gamesmanship there because the 3-4 is more what it's going to look like. No doubt. You can kind of tell that with all the beef that he signed <laughs> up front. You know, you saw that beef, and you knew, hey, that 3-4 that is where they're leaning. And that's okay. Uh, I like everything I've heard about the defense, even with the little issues going into halftime. Uh, like you said, with a little bit of better uh, pass rush, that can help out kind of slow that down as well. So uh, that, that got the juices flowing, Pat. That's a lot of fantastic stuff, man. What do you got coming out that uh, anybody should be on the lookout for, talking G-men, talking football? I mean, you, you cover everything. Thing. So what do you got coming out? Yeah, well, I got a story. Everyone's saying the Giants have no cap space. I'm doing a story for Sunday's Daily News on how they got here. I think it's a good kind of autopsy on what not to do. Um, and then find me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and even on TikTok, PL on NFL on Instagram and TikTok. I'm doing live Q&As. Um, I'm doing a series called Talking Ball of Quick Analysis on TikTok. So a lot going on on social media, especially with Two New York teams holding four total picks in the top ten of this draft. Does that mean that you're making the trip to Vegas for the draft? I am not, unfortunately. The Giants they, they kind of they make their facility here their headquarters, so okay. they make it too Q, they make it too easy for us, man. They got <laughs> us in the media room, they got us walking down the hallway to the auditorium. I'd rather be in Vegas. I know that's right. I know that's right. Well, hey, keep doing a great job, man. You you, you do such such fantastic work, and we definitely appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you, as always. Take care. Uh, all right. You too. Be good. Pat Leonard right there, New York Daily News Sports, at P. Leonard, NYDN on Twitter. Check him out. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, he's, 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 he's got the pulse of, of all of New York and having four picks that early in the draft. That's going to be fun. I remember when the Raiders had three picks in the first round, how much fun that was. It was just like, boom. All right, take a break. Boom. All right, take a break. Boom. You know, I mean, it's just the, 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 the thrill is there. Oh, I know that they're going to be excited, but <laughs> who are they going to take? Hey, they got top 10 picks, dog.
Top 10 picks, regardless who they get, it's going to be fun conversation leading up to it. It might not be good conversation afterwards. They might go and get that guy that everyone says, huh? Who? What? Why? Or even they do get the guy that's like, this guy's a star. Right, and then he turns out to be a, a dud. They might get your, your boy Sauce Gardner might be in New York and then be <laughs> hey, like. Hey, man, he's going to be a stud. Don't, hey, 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 I'm hey, not watch your mouth. Not. Watch your mouth, young man. But it'll be you two years. You never made it to the court. You never made it in the court in high school. Kayla <laughs> said it. Don't say. you start that mess with me when it comes to Sauce Gardner. <laughs> I was trying to say who was homeboy who was with the Dolphins, and he looked around and was like, yo, get me out of here. <laughs> Make a Fitzpatrick? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He might be like that. You get to New York. Be like, yeah, I don't like these men. Yo, I'm playing with some scrubs. Right, right. Send me to Vegas. Where's my boy Q at? Q! <laughs> That's what's going to happen, no matter who they draft. I do want to ask you this, Raider Nation, after listening to my man Pat Leonard talk about Patrick Graham's defense, who do you believe is going to be the key cog for this Patrick defense, Patrick Graham-led defense? Why? Who do you think is going to be the key cog in this defense and why? Hit us up. Let us know. 702-365-9200. Salmon Ash text line 69187. Keyword R&R. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. There's no big secret to winning football. It's just doing what these guys do every game. Just go out and give it your best. Bottom line, I took a team to a Super Bowl and we won. I even had some guys on that team that nobody wanted. But we were a team. And that's what you guys are. You're a football team. That's kind of like a family, except you get to hit each other. But you have to stick together. Do that, you'll be fine. Thanks, Mr. Rabbit. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. 323 is the time. Many thanks to Pat Leonard for the New York Daily News Sports at PLeonardNYDN on Twitter. Just joined us in the last segment. Great breakdown, I thought of Patrick Graham's defense. A lot of things I took away from that conversation, including the fact that the Raiders have a head coach in waiting right there on the sideline of Patrick Graham. That was something that, DeMond, you pointed out in the commercial break. Yeah, I didn't want to ask it to him. I don't want to upset people, but how long should we realistically think he's going to be here? Right. Because what if this season is extraments like exponential, stupendous? Whatever word you want to use, the Raiders finish with a top 10 defense. What if another team snatches him? What happens then? Look, I mean, hey. It, then, it'd be a good problem to yeah, have. Yeah, it's a great problem to have. You you pat him on the back and say thank you for your work, and you hope that there's someone that can fill that void. But you then know? you'd have to go into the next season right. trying to start over yep. again. But you give the Raiders a lot of credit for going out and making the hires. And look, he won't be the only guy. And, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned him being a head coach and that Pat brought up him being a head coach because I was surprised and shocked that the Giants didn't elevate him to the head coach position. That's what I thought was going to happen. And obviously didn't. They went and got their guy in Brian Dayball. Dayball wanted to keep him there as a defensive coordinator for obvious reasons. Didn't happen. But you can't, yeah, you can't somebody be your boss that you technically think you, you should have well, their actually, job. Well, actually, uh, Jared actually interviewed for my job. <laughs> yeah. Jared interviewed for my job, and I got it. So. <laughs> Jared's cool. <laughs> but Jared, I think Jared can look at you and say, hey, I think you would do a better job than me. Patrick Graham might have been walking around right. the facility like after the first loss. Yeah. See? See? I would have done it this way. <laughs> Daniel Jones missed a touchdown. Right. Like, mm, wouldn't happen with me. <laughs> right, right. My defense would have stopped that. No, that's 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 just a fun fun conversation. But um, I do like what Pat said, not only about the the fact that that uh, Patrick Graham is going to be a head coach at one point, and look, he's going to be a head coach at one point. Champ Kelly's going to be a GM at one point too. Think about that. The Raiders have at least two that I know for a matter of fact that's going to be ha- having better positions sooner rather than later. Champ Kelly is a superstar. 
the assistant GM, GM of the Raiders right now. He will be a GM at some point. And kudos to the Raiders for getting guys like this. Think about that. If you have guys on your roster that you feel like shortly are going to be rock stars and have their own programs or have their own teams or have their own you know, front offices, that's good for you to be able to hire them and have them in, in, in the mix anyway to begin with. Regardless how long you have them, that just gives you a lot of credit for going and finding guys like that. Yes, and I know this isn't the way to think of it, but hey, when those guys leave, those comp- those compensatory picks will come in as well. I know that's a, that's a way off thing, thing to think about it, but it's it part is of cultivating it. part of it, yeah. that talent. I'm sure that yeah. some teams they do think about it a little oh, bit. Oh, I have no doubt. I yes. have no doubt that some teams are thinking, "Oh, get we can those do two this. picks." Right, exactly. So, hey, look, I'm just I'm just happy that I feel like you could see guys. I mean, like think about this. The Raiders had had coaches in the the last regime that went on to do other things, but did any of the coaches like, you know, come out of come off of the, the Raiders regime is like, oh man, that guy's going to be a head coach someday. You know, like Gus Bradley, he went to Indianapolis as a defensive coordinator. That's who he is. Rich, Rich Versace, he went to Green Bay as a, as a special teams coach. You know what I mean? Like he didn't, it's none of them. It's like, oh man, he's sure going to be a head coach soon. You know, like that's what they're saying about Patrick Graham. He's going to be a guy soon. You know, Champ Kelly, he's going to be a GM soon. Nobody said, and this is no disrespect to Mike Mayock. I liked him. No one's like, hey man, Mike Mayock's the man. We're about to hire him. You know what I mean? Like they didn't. That's just the reality of it. Now, again, guys got jobs, so I'm not I'm not crapping on them. I'm just saying that the fact is these guys are going to get jobs that are going to be better, not not lateral movements. They're going to be better than the jobs that they have when they're here with the Raiders. They're going to actually have better jobs in the near future. Just that's how talented they are. So that's exciting. The other little quick note that I wanted to bring up is we talk about the linebacking position. And Pat talked about we asked him about Denzel Perryman. And, you know, we all know that he's really good coming downhill and thumping and tackling. And, I mean, he's, he's a tackling machine. He's an old-school middle linebacker. Absolutely. And he's one of those guys that's needed in the Patrick Graham defense. But there's also needs to be guys that can be more athletic and, and drop in coverage. And Denzel will laugh and goof on it and say, hey, you guys, you know, I can't cover. Come out here and teach me then. Give me some lessons. I mean, Open he, challenge. Yeah, he, he, he jokes about it all the time. We know that that's not his strength. But one thing that I noticed that Pat said was that's okay. Blake Martinez was a guy who wasn't the best in coverage, but what they do? They put athletic dudes around him. So when that when he said that, in my mind, it went ding, Divine Diablo. Who used to be a safety. Ding, Jayon Brown, who they just brought in. Ding, Kyler Fackrell. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm thinking of all these athletic dudes that could fill that void. And allow Denzel Perryman to continue to be that downhill old school thumper, because that's needed in a major way, especially at the at the big the big mollies, the hog mollies up front. If they're doing their job on the defensive line, if they're doing their job, these guys like a Perryman can come down clean and make a smooth tackle. Because you know he's he's aiming to he's trying to hit somebody. Yes, he's trying to take you out. Not trying to be dirty. But he's trying to take you out. He's definitely, I know you don't want to use these terms anymore, but a headhunter. Oh, yeah. He would have been perfect in the NFL 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he's a thumper, man. He's a guy that's going to hit you and, and let you know about yourself. You know, you're going to be like, damn, where'd that come from? My buddy Quan Cosby, who, who played in the league for a quick minute, he went to the University of Texas, wide receiver. He won the national championship, matter of fact, with, uh, with uh, Vince Young. He said one time that he said, Q, it's the reality of – you're playing against men in the NFL. He said the hardest hit that ever happened was he crossed the middle and Ray Lewis hit him with a flipper. Not even a full hit, but just got him with, and that's what he, how he described it, a flipper. And he said, Doc, I didn't know where I was. He said, I lost all breath. 
I couldn't breathe. I, I, I didn't know where my sideline was. He was like, that was the hardest hit I ever received. And that, was, that wasn't even a full hit from Ray Lewis. That was a flipper. Denzel Perryman, he, he brings the wood. He, he, he'll hit you. He'll hit you hard so you don't, you, don't, you, you got to call your mama and tell her like, hey, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it home tonight. And I'm glad <laughs> you told that story because that's someone who made it to the league. No matter what you think about him, he made it. Right. So for everyone at home that when you see someone get hit, I, I would have, you got to catch that. You got to keep running. No, no, no. Mm-mm. These are grown men that are the alpha male of the species. Yes, yes. They are the 1% of the 1%ers. You know what I mean? They are the best of the best of the best of the best. And when a guy like that tells me, hey, that was the hardest hit that I ever I ever had, and I, I didn't know where my sideline was, that told me all I needed to know. Coming up next, Tim Neverett, Dodgers play-by-play voice. He'll join the show. The Dodgers get their season started on Friday, but opening day is tomorrow, so we'll break that down. It's coming up next here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Always excited to talk football action around here. Of course, it's what we do. Love talking some NBA as well. But man, oh man, and I might be in, in the slight minority, I love to talk some baseball action as well. Opening day is going tomorrow. Didn't know we were going to actually get here, but we are here. Most of the teams will be in action tomorrow. The Dodgers will not. But we will talk about the Dodgers right now with Tim Neverett. He's a Dodgers play-by-play voice here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. And Tim, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And how excited and pumped up and amped are you for opening day, even though it's not till Friday for the Dodgers? Yeah, it's it's a mixture of feelings because, uh, you know, you're you're. I'm trying to determine what I'm more excited about, that spring training's over with and we can play real baseball or that opening day's here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just did like, I don't know, 26 straight spring training games. And, uh, you know, they're just very different than the mm-hmm. regular season games in terms of how they substitute and the minor league guys that come in. and everything. They're great. They're fun. And it's great to see the prospects and all that stuff. But uh, we're ready. Um, and we're looking forward to Friday in Colorado. Uh, Dodgers and Rockies will open it up. But uh, tomorrow some other teams open up and, uh, it's it's time. I mean, we're we're past time. The lockout kind of delayed us, but we're still going to get 162 in, which is the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm super pumped up about it. And I know you said that uh, you know you're excited about moving on to the regular season and getting out of spring training. But I did want to ask you about one prospect, the AAA guy in Oklahoma, Bobby Miller, the right hand pitcher. Uh, he looks like he's a heck of a prospect. What did you see from him, uh, at least in spring training action? The only thing we saw was last night because the Dodgers kept him out of. They purposely kept him out of Cactus League games. Uh, they had him working on the backfields all the time. They they started him slowly. They had a slower ramp up for him because they've got plans for him. Uh, we saw him last night. He started against the Angels at Dodger Stadium in the final game of the Freeway Series. And the first pitch this kid threw was 100 mm. to Shohei Otani, right? And he struck out Otani looking. That's the first big league guy he's faced all year, the reigning American League MVP, and he struck him out looking. He was like 100, 100, 99, 99, and 100 down the middle, and Otani was like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> so um, he's, this kid was really good for three innings. He opened up a lot of eyes. I, I did see him a little bit last year and was impressed with him. You know, he's a big kid. He's like 6'5", 220, talks to himself on the mound. He's got, the, you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, he's got an edge to him. Nice. And I think he's probably going to make his big league debut this year. I wouldn't be surprised if it was this year, but he's really good. And, and uh, uh, I think he, 
He uh, put the rest of the rest of the league on notice last night with his performance. I like that. I like that. I mean, everything that you're talking about him, his size, his demeanor, talking to himself on the mound, having a little edge. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, what's more intimidating than a pitcher that does all that, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, well plus he turned tw- like yesterday was his 23rd birthday, right? So what does he get to do? He gets to pitch at Dodger Stadium and live a dream, right? Right. But at the same at the same time, he's only 23. He's got. You know, all of his pitches, fastball, curveball, two-seamer, uh, change-up, slider. He's got a really good slider. I mean, he's way advanced for somebody who just turned 23 yesterday. That's awesome. It really is. We're talking with Tim Neverett, Dodgers play-by-play voice here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Now, as far as the regular season gets going, I mean, that's on Friday in Colorado, as you mentioned. How do you prepare yourself for not 162 games, but much more than that? Because the expectations aren't just to get through the season. The expectations for Big Blue is to go very deep into the playoffs, if not win the World Series. Yeah, you, you know, you pace yourself. You don't try to peak too early <laughs> you can't get you can't get too high too low it's it's all those same uh, you know expressions or or cliches but you, you just do it you know i mean hey we're lucky we get to go to the ballpark you know if, if we had to go to the ballpark 300 days a year that'd be fine right. i mean people go to work 300 and some odd days a year right so yeah. they go to the office we get to go to the ballpark we're, we're very fortunate we're very lucky we know that so it, it's uh, one of those things where you know, you're going to have some good games. You're going to have some bad games. You're going to have some, some blowouts on both sides. It's just the way that a 162-game schedule works. But then as you start to get down the stretch in September, you're trying to figure out, okay, now can you win the division? If so, how soon? And then if so, you know, when do you start lining up your pitching for the postseason? But, you know, we're a long way from that. Uh, the Dodgers are good. There's no question about it. They've got an incredible roster. Uh, they should be good, and if they're not good, it'd be one of the biggest disappointments in the game. But if they uh, they are good as expected, it could be a long, a long September October. Speaking of that Dodgers roster, the newest addition, Freddie <laughs> Freeman, six year deal, one hundred and sixty two million. What are the expectations from the Atlanta Braves legend Freddie Freeman coming <laughs> over to the Dodgers? Uh, well, they're high, like everybody else. You know? Mm-hmm. Hit 300 last year, 31 bombs. Two years ago, he was the National League MVP. The dude can play first and foremost. He's a Gold Glove first baseman. But one one thing, you know, I've seen him play a lot, but I haven't seen him play like on an everyday basis. And now that I've started to, I realize there's a whole other aspect to his game I never thought of before, really never noticed. This guy can run the bases. I mean, he makes good reads on balls hit to the outfield. He scored on a on a base hit to uh, or a double actually to right center last night from first base, and Mookie Betts was in front of him. And he almost caught him. Mm. Wow! And so I'm like, that is the product of two things. First, the guy can run. Secondly, he has a really good read on whether that ball is going to be in or not. Mookie had to wait a little bit, and, and I mean, he almost caught him at the plate. And I was like, where did he come from? But uh, Freeman's going to be uh, an incredible addition. He's a Southern California guy. Uh, he said the other day, you know, he's so happy that his grandfather can come to came to games now and uh, and watch him play, and other family members can come watch him play whenever they want to, because they're all around, you know, Orange, California, in that area. So uh, it's just, you know, it's wonderful to look down there at first base and see him. And you look at the top three hitters in the Dodgers order. You got Mookie Betts, right? He's a he's a former MVP in the American League. Then you got. Homer MVP in the National League, Freddie Freeman hitting second. 
Then you got the reigning National League batting champion, Trey Turner, hitting third. I mean, Jeez. That, that's a one, two, three punch that's going to be tough to beat. It really is. Almost sounds unfair. <laughs> it's the it's thing okay. that money can buy. <laughs> it's what uh, money can buy. You know, they're not afraid to spend it, and, and that's the thing. They spend within the rules, and they do pay the taxes on it. And, and But you have to remember, they've developed a lot of really good players in mm-hmm. that system. I mean, look, look at the pitching. Clayton Kershaw is one of their guys. Walker Bueller was one of their guys. Julio Arias, one of their guys. Dustin May, one of their guys. Tony Gonsolin, one of their guys. I mean, they've, they've drafted and developed, too. Right, right. Uh, so they've had to fill holes and bring in some stars because, hey, it's L.A., right? You mm-hmm. need stars. Facts. you got to have them. No doubt. No doubt about it. Speaking of stars, Max Scherzer, he was only on loan for half of the season last year. The Dodgers weren't able to bring him back or maybe didn't want to bring him back. What's the story there? Was it just the offer was too big in New York, or was it just we all knew it was going to be a rental? Well, they tried to bring him back. As I understand, there was a pretty sizable offer made to Max, uh, but there was one more sizable, substantially more, <laughs> uh, from the Mets. So, uh, you know, the question for him was, you know, do I go make you know, whatever it would have been, 30-plus million, or do I go make $43 million a year? Uh, I'm going to go make $43 million in New York, and that's what he did. Nobody blames him for that. We would have loved to have him back. He's great to watch. He's he's one of my favorite pitchers to watch pitch, regardless of what team he's on. But um, they they made a real solid attempt to get him back, but I don't think anybody expected Max to get 43. Right. That's a whole lot of money. If you can get it, go get it. I'm not mad at that at all. Nobody should be mad if someone's able to get that kind of coin. Talking right now, the Dodgers play-by-play voice, Tim Neverett, here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I want to ask you about Dave Roberts. He's a guy who gets uh, you know, criticized a lot from the manager position. Sometimes the feel, people feel like he doesn't press the right buttons, hit this, there, and the other, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, what's the feeling around Dave Roberts? Just won a, a World Series a couple seasons ago. Uh, it, I, I hate to use the word pressure, but is there any pressure around him? No, I mean, well, he put pressure on himself when uh, he went on a national radio show and predicted that the Dodgers would win the World Series. And after the Dodgers and Angels played their first two games of the freeway series, the Dodgers didn't look very good in those two exhibition games, which are basically scripted games. Um, And a writer from, uh, I think it was from L.A. yesterday, I was in the dugout when it happened, asked Dave, do you want to walk back that statement now? And he started laughing. (laughs) He's like, no, we have the talent. It's our goal every year, not just to win, but win the World Series. And that's the kind of franchise you want to be around. Like, mm-hmm. like for me personally, I was with the Pittsburgh Pirates for a long time. And quite honestly, I was there at a time when they were like, if we can just make 500, that would be amazing. No, 500 is mediocre. That's nothing. Right. You want to be around a franchise that wants to win World Series. And the Dodgers try to do it every single year. I mean, they've got that mentality, and uh, it runs all the way through the entire organization. It's great. It's great to be around that mentality. It's not like, can you? It's more like, are you? how hard are you going to try? And, and they try as hard as anybody every year. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful environment. Uh, you know that every night they go out, they have a chance to win a baseball game. And unfortunately, around baseball, 
you can't say that about some other franchises. Right. No, that is, man, man, you are preaching to the choir on, on that. That is a, a sure fact. Uh, again, we're talking with Tim Neverett here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Final question for you, Tim. As far as the NL West goes, I mean, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They're expected to go not only, you know, make a deep run into the playoffs, but potentially win the World Series as well. The Giants, in my opinion, probably going to take a little bit of a step back from what we saw last season. The Padres, I don't know, they're injured, banged up, you know, probably not as good as they they're fun. They're a fun team to watch, but not that great, uh, in my opinion. I don't know. What do you think of the whole NL West? How do you think? How do you see it shaping out early in a, in the season? Well, I like uh, I like the last move the Padres made because <laughs> right. oh, the Dodgers and I and I could have done it. I I, I might have kicked the tires on Sean Manai of the A's. Uh, maybe they did kick the tires, but uh, it looked like the Padres were were there to make the purchase, and they did, and they they made the deal to get him. Uh, I recently saw him pitch for the A's in spring training. I thought he was dynamite. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that the Padres are still trying to win, but they keep making a, a lot of moves. You know, they're going to be without Tatis for a couple of months. Um, and that hurts them, but they still have other guys that can play. I, I think that, you know, like take a look at Colorado, for instance, right? You know, to me it doesn't make any sense that they traded Nolan Arenado plus gave $55 million to the Cardinals. Well, they could have just kept him for what they paid Chris Bryant. Right. Right? And and Chris is good. And if you're looking for numbers to replace Nolan Arenado's bat, well, that's great, you know, for the Vegas kid. It's great to see the Vegas kids get paid. It's great to see the Vegas kids get out there and do well, like, like Chris Bryant has done. Uh, but I don't think they're any different of a team right. than they were a year ago, except they got, you know, another guy who can DH and, you know, high altitude. But <laughs> – that that that's the only difference I see with them. Arizona, uh, I don't I don't think they got much of a chance this year. I think they're going to be still on the rebuilding side of things. The Giants, I, I do think, will take a step back. No way they won 107 games. Um, and uh, I mean, they had a great season. Tip your cap to the Giants; they yep. were amazing last year. Yep. But I think the Padres might have enough to sneak into second place. I think it's going to be between the Padres and the Giants. And, and I think the Dodgers will, will get back to winning divisions. I, I think that uh, they're not happy that they didn't win it last year and they're going to do whatever they have to do to, to do that. And, um, you know, they set the new trading deadline for August 2nd of this year. And I don't suspect the Dodgers are going to sit pat uh, depending on where they are. But uh, they, have, they have so much depth in the minor leagues. They've got so much depth to trade. I mean, they just traded A.J. Pollock, for crying out loud, mm-hmm. you know, to get Craig Kimbrell. I mean, that's the kind of depth that they have in the organization where they can afford to do that. All right, Tim, I know Q said that the last one was going to be the last one. <laughs> this will be the last one. D.H. and the N.L., yay or nay? I think people who are diehard National League fans are going to realize, and I think players who have been in the National League for a long time are going to realize that there's not as many at-bats to be had. Uh, I spent three years in the American League with Boston, and I realize it's a different game. The number eight spot in the batting order is a whole different deal than it is in the National League. Uh, the bunt, if you're not a fan of the bunt, then you'll be happy. But the bunt's pretty much going to be out of the game unless it's bunting for a base hit against a shift. Um, you might see an occasional sacrifice bunt. Guys who are on the bench are not going to get nearly as many as, at-bats as they thought they might unless the manager can find a way. Um, uh, you know, I don't mind the DH. Uh, because I've seen it, I, you know, we've known it's been coming for a couple of years now, and it's just an accepted thing, but it is going to change the nature of National League baseball. Plus, a lot of these teams in the National League are not necessarily built to have a DH on their roster, like a full-time DH, 
And when the lockout came, there really wasn't a lot of time to, to fill those holes. So some teams have them, some teams don't. I mean, the Dodgers are going to spread it around. We've got enough guys who can do it, but uh, other teams don't. But it, it's definitely going to change the game a little bit, um, uh, I think, at the National League level. I mean, the days of the double switch, pretty much over uh, if you follow the game and keep score. And um, I'm just looking forward to you know, getting on with it. There's so many changes. I could tell you, I could talk to you guys for an hour about the changes that are coming in the next five years. I was on a call with Major League Baseball earlier today. There's, there's stuff coming down the road that, that, um, are going to change the game. I think, you know, eventually for the better. Uh, right there in Vegas, first and foremost, they're going to be testing the ABS system, which is the automatic ball strike system. Mm. They're going to start that May, May 15th. Um, it, so they'll have, uh, the automatic ump May 15th. That's going to be a story. Certainly one you guys should take a look at. and Make sure to listen to Russ and Matt tonight on Aviators Baseball. Oh, you know we will. <laughs> we uh, will. We air their games right here on uh, Raider Nation Radio 920, so we're always listening. And you know what? You, I know you do. You, you brought up <laughs> – this is how it all works together. We all tie it in together like this. But, you know, you brought up the umpires, and I did want to ask about them having the microphone and being able to announce what's being reviewed. Do you like that, or what are your thoughts on that? Love it. I absolutely love it. Tell you a quick story. I, I had a couple of different occasions to have uh, you know one-on-ones with Rob Manfred, baseball commissioner, in the past several years ago, and I asked him, "Would you ever consider doing it?" Because it, as broadcasters and as fans at home and as fans in the stadium, you're in the dark on a lot of these things that happen, right? When they're placing runners, or if it's a weird rule, or you don't know if they're challenging the play at the plate or at second base or whatever. So I, I've been I've been asking for it. I was fortunate that the other night I was on the radio for the Dodgers and we had the very first one in baseball history. Nice. Ted Barrett did it. Last night we had another one with Alfonso Marquez uh, acting as the crew chief or the number two umpire. And um, I got to tell you, it's going to add so much to the broadcast. It's going to add so much to the fan experience at the ballpark. I love it. This is one of the best things baseball's done in years is to have the umpires mic'd to fill you in on what the replay situation is and, and then what the result is. Nice. I'll tell you what, you got me sold, Tim, because I was asked that exact question the other day, and I was like, ah, no big deal. I don't need it. No big no big deal. But now that you broke it down like that, I'm all for it. I'm easily swayed. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you, though, it's great. And having done it the last two nights, uh, you know, I think it was part of our broadcast the last two nights, you know, it's like when I used to do football. You know, you have to wait for the official, you know, and you feel like saying when you're done, yeah, you know, now it's uh, first down or whatever, but you you know, you have to hold out off on that urge. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's something I think that's necessary in this technology day and age um, because we didn't find out if a call was confirmed or not until like six or seven minutes later, we'd get an email from Major League Baseball telling us whether that doesn't work. You want to know right now. Right. That's Don't true. You? So th- this is the only way, and I love it. I, 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 you know, again, having done it the last two nights, I love it. I, you know, I was actually rooting openly on the air. I said, I hope we get some replays tonight. Nice. <laughs> I like it. So, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Great stuff, Tim. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. Fantastic preview of the Dodgers season and upcoming opening day. It's always a fun time. It's like a holiday around here. Uh, so uh, have great calls. I know you will, but uh, continue the great work, and we appreciate you. 
Uh, thanks. Anytime. I'm happy to come on and talk to you about baseball. Nah, I love it. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate you. There you go. Tim Neverett, Dodgers play-by-play voice, here with us, giving us a few minutes of his time, and uh, even heard a little cosign there in the background from the dog. Ain't mad at that. Uh, you know, but the Dodgers get everything started on Friday against Colorado on the road. The home opener will be next week. 3.49 is the time. Take a quick break. Come back. Close out the show. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. In baseball terms, we hit home run after home run after home run today. Started the show off with Kayla. I'll say that was a solid triple. Triples are hard to come by. That was a solid triple. Ed Graney, boom. He drove her in with a home run. Two-run shot. Then Pat Leonard. He let off the top of the third or the three o'clock hour. He 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 got his Ricky Henderson on, got a leadoff home run. Then Tim Neverett joins joined us right there. Had another home run, back to back home runs. We've been driving in runs all show long here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. Yeah, I'm in the baseball mood. That's okay. Got this text and I thought it, I had to double check the phone number. I thought Mama Q texted in. I was like, damn, normally she just texts me. Raider J in Sacramento said couldn't get anyone for the Giants. No, we can, and we will. People no need fair programming. Q. No, no, no. Hey, 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 look, dog. <laughs> I let it be known. I am an A's fan. I'm not a Dodger fan. Or Mama Q is a huge Giant fan. I guarantee you I'll get someone from the Giants on. Remember last year when they were battling down to the wire, we had Dodgers and Giants back to back on the show. We sure did. I, hey, man, believe me. So Raider I, J. I know that. Sacramento. I know that rivalry, man. I'm not trying to get in the middle of that. I just know that there's a lot of Raider fans that are Dodger fans. That's just harsh reality. I'm not a Giants fan. I call them the Giants. I'm not a Dodger fan. I'm still upset about Kirk Gibson hitting a home run in 88. And you know what happened yesterday? I meant to bring this up on the show, but I didn't get a chance to. Was like the anniversary or something? No. (laughs) No, this is what happened. No BS. We were at that UNLV thing, right? At the the broadcasted journalist thing, right? Yep. Some, Some young guy, freshman, he's in sports broadcasting. He wants to be a sports broadcaster. Comes up, starts talking. Cool dude, right? Has his resume ready and everything. I'm not really a big football fan. I'm a baseball fan. I said, that's cool. I like baseball a lot. And uh, he said, yeah, I think the A's are coming here. And I said, yeah. And so we started talking about them, and I don't believe that it'd work if they do come here, right? I- I'm talking about that. And then he goes, well, I'm not an A's fan anyway. I'm a Dodger fan. And I said, oh, that's cool. I'm a, uh, I'm an A's fan. And he goes, oh, yeah, you guys made it to the World Series in 88. And I was like, hey, won it. And I go, I go, the A's won it in 89, dog. And he goes, yeah, but in 88 – the Dodgers beat the A's. And I go, yeah, I know. And then all of a sudden, like, every angry thought came to my mind. And Natalie, who is our boss, is sitting next to me. And she's hearing me get more aggressive with this young man. Because I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Funny story. Kurt Gibson comes off the bench. Kurt Gibson is injured. He can't run. My dad, who's watching the game with me, and he's like, oh, do you know who Kurt Gibson hit the home run off of? And I was like, yes, Dennis Eckersley. He goes, yeah. Nobody thought that Dennis Eckersley was going to get hit a home run. You know, like, he's egging me on. I'm getting mad talking about it right now. I can tell. He's egging me on, and I'm like, I know. Would you want to do grab him by the collar? Listen I up, did. Punk. I wanted to take him out. <laughs> if I could have taken him out, I would have. If I could have stood up and, like, yelled and screamed at him, I probably would have. But I, I remained calm, as, as calm as possible. So anyway, so I said, yeah, my dad told me Kurt Gibson's going to hit a home run. And I said, Dad, he can't hit a home run. He's injured. He can't even run. He said he don't need to run. All he's got to do is be able to hit. And boy, Eckersley threw that pitch, and I, I simulated what the pitch looked like or imitated what it looked like, and then whap, 
home run. That was game one of that damn series. And you know what? That ended the series. Game one decided the whole, they were done. After that Gibson home run, over. They came back the next year, though, and beat the Giants in four straight, baby. There there you go. There you go. Four straight, baby. There you go. Four straight. You got those memories to hold on to. I'm just saying. (laughs) Four to 6 p.m. Vinny Boss and yours coming up next in the huddle. Four o'clock. It's Radio Nation Radio 920.